Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 33rd episode of the Clock Roach Podcast. I'm Robbie. Joshua is here. <laughs> and uh, Roganauts plus 9383 in-game. Tanadero plus 2385. Yep, and we we have those numbers down pat now, like... Before, we used to have to be, like, scrambling, like, wait, wait, I think I know the number, but... I remember it better than my own address. That is... I know it better than mine. Oh, no. Yeah! Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a good sign. Anyway. Yeah. So, I think we've actually both been playing a, a decent amount of Eternal lately. I played quite a bit over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, as have I. And, uh, my play of the week... Is very exciting. How about you go first with that? Okay. So, on Reddit, Bad Guy Ty posted an utterly ridiculous deck, which does everything I have wanted to do, which he, <laughs> he somehow got to master with it, which makes me think that either he got to master with it after being one game away in Diamond 1, he's leagues better than me, or... He didn't play nearly as much aggro as I have played. But anyway, it's a it's a crazy fire time uh, shadow reanimator slash divining rod deck. Reanimator slash divining rod. But anyway. Uh, 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 wait, hold on. The, is this the thing that people were talking about on Discord earlier? Oh my god, it is. The things that it can do include self-milling three of your veras. Drawing another Vera, playing all of those Veras, all four, after a harsh roll, with a steward of the past, and your opponent immediately conceding. It was really nice, because when you bring back one Vera, you get to bring back something else, so you can just play all of them if you have them all in the void. Um, and he'd use up two harsh rolls, and one card equals a full board. It was wonderful. <laughs> Oh man, I, I I love any story that includes Vara. Vara is so much fun. Yeah, I'm uh. I'm uh, doing unhealthy brewing. I'm not gonna make it to master for a while. I want to <laughs> get there with something nice. <laughs> so much for playing a good deck this month. Oh wow. I mean, were you even intending on playing a good deck this I month? I thought about it. I thought about <laughs> trying. I thought about going for top 100. Did it? Um, decided reanimator is more fun. Oh, of course, it always is. <laughs> Successful. Mm. All right. So my play is a cautionary tale Ooh. of why you should pay attention when you're playing the game. Don't just like assume things are going well for you. <laughs> so I was playing uh, TJP, uh, just st standard TJP, I think, or it wasn't the like a control deck. Yeah, mid range. Basically, just um, it was basically just an obelisk deck that used Combri units. Okay. And Shimmer Pack. Okay. <laughs> was the summary of that deck. Shimmer and Cambrai. Pretty much. Well, Shimmer and Cambrai, but, like, yeah, there was some other weirdness to it. Anyways, the deck doesn't matter. Because what matters <laughs> is the fact that I was really stupid. And I permafrosted a, uh, I permafrosted a Black Sky Harbinger of my opponents. Okay. Because I was on the beatdown plan, and that gets in the way of the beatdown plan quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So I was hitting them. And uh, they had two cards left in hand, and then they play a power, so one card in hand, play yeah. their last card. It's Staff of Stories. Okay. There's nothing on the board other than this Permafrosted Black Sky Harbinger. Great. So I play a Desert Marshal, 
which is a 4-3, thanks to my Xenon Obelisk. And I accidentally click the Harbinger. And now it can block. So So you were just used to seeing something on the other field on the other side of the field and, and clicking it, it, yes, and yes, doing exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> so pay attention, please. Because that cost me the game. It like seriously that mistake cost me the game. I had to use a uh That's priceless. I I, um, I started my turn, played another unit, played a stand together to get the marshal up to five so it could punch into the harbinger and kill it. Yeah. And then he drew two removal spells off the top, killed my two things, drew into more removal spells. I played Seraph, he drew into two more removal spells. Oh, gee. It was just not a oh, good time. Gee. Not a good time. That's great. <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> oh, man. Like, when you lose because you did something that horrifically stupid, you gotta laugh because. You really do. You <laughs> it's really just so do. so dumb. Oh man. And you know, I would have won that game if I had just not pushed yeah. that. Because he would have drawn one removalist spell at a time and I would have kept hitting his face in. Yeah. <sighs> Good lessons. Yep. So, anyways. Yeah. For once, for once, hmm. something happened in Eternal on the day we're doing the show. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, today on uh, could Tuesday. Have put, could have been put up uh, tomorrow. Yeah. But today, uh, we're, when we're recording the episode, maybe not when you hear it, was Patrick Chapin's AMA on Reddit. Right. Ask me anything. Yes. And it was a thing that happened. It was a huge thread. That's it, for sure. Yeah, there was a that lot of thing discussion. thing you can say right off the bat. A lot of discussion. So, uh, we thought it would be a good idea to go through some of what I thought were the more important questions brought up and the more in-depth answers yeah the ones that got upvoted the most essentially were the questions that got answered the most thoroughly oh absolutely so uh real quick real um, quick before we get into actual questions posed by real people hey what were you you asked a question that got answered i did would you care to share both your question and verbatim the answer verbatim verbatim yes um (laughs) so i i asked if we might possibly get more units with the type cockroach in upcoming sets because I would love for cockroaches to be like a weird tribal that gets one unit each set and it does something uh, more or less impactful than the current one. Anyway, I asked, and and Chapin, in his wonderful self, he simply replies, "More cockroaches." Maybe time will tell. And then I went on and read the next ones. I just hit myself with a sharpie numerous times to <laughs> get over did. that. That we, is so... <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I did, in fact, ask for any tantalizing evidence, and that falls under that category. <laughs> you um, also asked, like, actual questions that probably just got answered other places. Probably. Or... <laughs> but I got a good laugh out of it. I like oh, it. Oh, yeah. And it gives me hope. It gives me a shred of hope. We'll see some more little mechanical insects coming up soon. And, uh, wait, are the cockroaches the only mechanical insect? I think so. Because the mechanical stuff is usually in fire, right? Usually. Grenadine. Yeah. And all the bugs are in time and shadow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's weird. There's a very weird voice that you went into. <laughs> so I also asked the question, um... 
I asked one serious question and therefore got it answered. <laughs> so we're really not real people, are we? No. Um, my question was, do they have any... Can they share any plans on how they are going to make the game uh, continue to be accessible to new players in the long term? Yeah. And to kind of explain what I meant by that, like, uh, what I mean is that as the competitive upper-level decks require cards from multiple adventures or uh, expansions, like, how do you keep up with player? How do you make it so that new players coming in are going to be able to do that? Right, right. And his answer was... Um, they're working on the campaign is basically uh they're, they're like working on campaign and card delivery yeah and they're trying to like continuously just design new exciting cards that maybe there won't be as much of a need to pull from old stuff as i, I don't know exactly well you asked <laughs> it so vaguely i did and the answer that i got wasn't it was a fine answer but it wasn't helpful <laughs> yeah I, I i guess i would have liked to see you say specifically how will you allow or make it easy for new players to compete when there's a volume of old cards they don't have yet or something right like that's that. what i meant to ask and that's not what i asked and he like they're basically the answer came down to they're going to continue to try to make the game like fun and engaging for new players and that's right. good that's great but it's still really hard to get to go from like two sets in to yeah. go from having nothing to trying to be competitive. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, you, tr you um, back, like, almost almost exactly a year ago, actually, <laughs> you tried to jump into Hearthstone. A I little did. Bit, and I imagine you came up against that exact barrier. I'm a relatively patient person, and I had to put up with the fact that most cards that I saw, I would never own. That, that must be frustrating. It was a bummer. I built Dragon Priest, which was, <laughs> which was great, but, yeah, um... There's no sticking with a game that you can't keep up with, but well, I mean, we've, we've already talked about how Eternal is much more generous than Hearthstone, so that that is favorable about the future. But I I see where it has been. I mean, even getting Laura into Eternal, like Jack's Bounty, is already something that she's gone like, okay, these cards aren't normally there. Um, where do those come from? And so having multiple sets, I could just see how that would compound. Right, and I think of an important difference here is being top tier competitive versus just playing the game for fun because sure. people playing the game for fun aren't necessarily going to run into this as much yeah and i never played hearthstone for top tier competitive so oh, i right. didn't care but you still like tried to build a net deck i tried to build a, a, a good deck yeah <laughs> I, I don't mean net deck in a bad way i yeah. meant like you looked up a dragon list and then were aiming to build it yeah i mean it was kind of self-explanatory well too. that's because hearthstone <laughs> doesn't give you deck building it gives you decks but anyways, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> uh, let's let's go into. That's a discussion for another day. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't really feel like pissing off people for no reason. Oh no, I, I just, usually I want a reason when I, I do that. I just mean the broader concept. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, the top two posts on the AMA were from Jello Moose and Neon. Both well-respected content creators. Yes. So. If you don't know them, get to. So okay. Real quick, why don't you... Let's just go down Neons first and... Yeah, I like kind of paraphrase the questions and the answers because... Oh my god, it's like a novel. Yeah, so th <laughs> this will be... Uh, this will be the too-long-didn't-read version of the AMA for all you guys. Uh, this segment of the podcast, if you aren't interested in reading the thread, this is what's important. Um, so his first question was, can you articulate 
Direwolf Digital's vision of control decks. Uh, how how do you see control playing a role in the meta? How do you see control like what do you see control as being good for and do you think we need more or less of it? So yeah, his answer was that they uh or Chapin's answer was basically that um they are open to I think a wide range of different viable strategies, but that all spells things tend to not be very interactive or like fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's been times where things like Echoscavate come around that really show you how unfun spells can really be. Echoscavate was a was a, a patch. Yeah. Right. So there's just there's sometimes that a uh, a deck a control deck especially will come out that isn't doing things in a really healthy way for the game to exist. Yeah. Uh, so actually, this is a really brief mini topic in here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He brings up four faction control decks, and he doesn't want that many people playing. That was such a fun deck. Okay, well, here's the thing. (laughs) And this is coming from the guy who brought four-faction control to the unified deck-building tournament. (laughs) That is true. Four-faction control, when it's, like, viable and something you see a lot, is not good for the game. Yeah. Because it it drastically cuts down on the number of cards that are seen play, because Mm -hmm. you don't have to go down and, like... You could just take the best three cards from each of your factions and roll with those as opposed to having to go deeper and build a deck identity as opposed to just four faction good stuff yeah i mean it basically was four faction good stuff exactly like that's not a healthy deck for the game when that's when it's fun don't get me wrong yeah but having it around is probably not a good idea (laughs) having it be really good having it be even like tier two i think is a problem Hmm. or at least tier two and seen a lot like yeah. four faction is not something it when you're playing four faction you should be doing it because it's fun and silly and you want to do <laughs> it not because it's the competitive best choice well i mean we've just seen that with for those of you who are magic players we just saw that a couple standard seasons ago yeah what it actually, looks like when every deck is four faction i would that's exactly the thing i pointed to when, super when, unhealthy when all the decks are like almost the same and have like a three card difference then yeah they, like what what the point what is even the point of a deck building game then just have everyone play war and like right figure out whose card is better by drawing i don't know anyway yeah. second question okay second question so <coughs> how do how does the company view their own role in terms of balancing the meta right um, this was actually a kind of interesting answer. Uh, going where the fun is at is a, the the takeaway. So and he said fun a lot during the course of this AMA. Okay, so actually this is something that I want to talk about real quick. Yeah. I, I'm going to say that a lot today. <laughs> They're designing a game. They are. Not a competitive card experience. <laughs> because... Eternal, the competitive card experience, would die. Because yeah. that it's just not a sustainable, supportable thing. They have to make a game. They want to make a game, and a game needs to be fun. So I think what people often miss is that the goal of Eternal is not to replicate the highlights of magic, whatever those highlights are. It's not to be like, this is top-tier competitive magic, brought to digital this is hey yeah, yeah. we're making a game inspired by these other things and want to improve upon it also the goal of the game is not to make an esport no like, that is that is just <laughs> not what they're going for like they're like things like league of legends can come around and do that but 
and I actually I actually th- don't think League of Legends is a good example at all. Maybe no. Dota. I actually think though that the sweet spot that Eternal is trying to hit, uh, which is the one where it has the tools to be played very very competitively, but it's also it's also a game that you play when you want to relax and when you want to enjoy yourself and be creative. Um, I mean, it it reminds me of a lot of other games that weren't necessarily made to be competitive, but could be uh, if they needed to be. And it's done better than some of those, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think of, like, Pokemon, and I think of how much the community has to stretch to make that competitive, and it actually works out pretty well. Um, but they have to stretch so far. This is appealing to a wide variety of people. Another point that he brings up is that players already tend to balance the meta themselves. They which is interesting. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, there, there's definitely some true element of that where, like, if a deck starts dominating, people will find a deck that's good against it. That is true. But that's not necessarily a good thing. And it, and it can be, too, that there just isn't a deck that's good against a deck as well. I mean, right. it can turn out that they find the best one. Agreed. So let's just move on before we spend the entire show talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the philosophy about game slash card complexity? So essentially, some of the changes that have been made, such as those to Excavate, Crown, and Withering Witch, were made in part because Direwolf wants complex interactions like that to come up less or to be less uh, less powerful. And so he's, there, he's asking... What kinds of complexity do they think are good to have on cards? And how much should players encounter that when they're playing the game? Right, I think they want to focus the complexity on cards interacting, not on single cards with very uh, in-depth rules. I found his huge response here to be very intriguing. (laughs) Very appropriate for the question. Yeah, so one of the sentences that he says is, that there are actually an incredible number of ways that you can use Finest Hour, Torch, and Teleport. And I think that's exceptionally true in Eternal um, because of the peculiar mechanics to the game, uh, like Aegis and whatnot that you can use Finest Hour on. Things like that. There are. There, There really are a lot of possibilities with a relatively basic set of cards. But I, I don't think that that in itself is a reason to shy away from complex cards as well. Like, the fact that you can do many different things with simple cards could also just say, with complex cards, you can do even more things. Um, but I, I thought that was a really good point to bring up, uh, is that skill complexity is sometimes accentuated when the cards are simple. Alright, uh, this next question is pretty... Uh... Pretty, pretty on the nose for us. Uh, relevant. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of the content creators? And what advice would you give them? Right. And his answer, while being shorter, was that just have fun doing the thing that you're doing. Like, be passionate about it. And Do you have fun when you're doing this? No, oh, no, not at all. This is a chore. Yeah, I thought the same. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try to be encouraged by Chapin here. Okay, number five. Uh, the changes to the redraw rule were primarily about increasing satisfying game experiences. Yes, I'm just reading Amen. Neon. Amen. I'm just stealing his words. It's very self-explanatory. The name of this episode will be written by Neon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, yeah, this was just a question about the redraw rule, right? Yeah, and it was just about making fewer non-games and 
you know, um, smoothing out people's draws so they're less punishing. And the answer was just that, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, he does He does have some numbers, you know, like the difference between playing 25 power and 24 power. Um, so, like, if you... Ha- just to summarize this for people... Um, if you have four copies of a key card you want to see, and you have five or twenty-five power, because of the way that sigils are drawn now, you have a twenty-two point five five chance of seeing one of those key cards in the redraw. However, if you have twenty-six power, you actually have a twenty-three percent chance of having that key card. So you go up half a percentage point. Uh, but what's that? What that is illustrating is that consistency is slightly increased. Uh, by the new redraw rule, which is cool. Consistency in card games is really, really tricky balancing point. It is, but I think a 22% chance of seeing your key four of, like, that's yeah. that's in, pretty that's, inconsistent. Yeah, that's in your opening hand, right? That's, that's a safe zone, yeah, in the opening hand. Yeah, that's that's not great. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, <clears throat> but they, again, we, we'll get to that later. Right, okay. So anyway, uh, sixth question. There, it seems like there's been a design philosophy shift around influence costs, as we've seen with some of the very heavy influence costs lately. Uh, did R&D underestimate the power of the influence system, and do you think this will impact the, the next sets? So their answer was that, or Chapin's answer was basically that the design was fine for it being a single set, mm-hmm. but moving forward and having these cards like Soulfire Drake and Umburn Reaper be around for future sets... Yeah. Uh, they really wanted to uh, make sure that people weren't just auto-including the old good stuff because it was easy to play. Right. And this goes a little bit back to the four-faction problem, too, in that cards with multiple factions are greedy by default, and making it so that you can jam the best cards from each faction into one deck, just making it easy to do that, is a problem. Um, So this helps to preempt some of that. Number seven, what have been the biggest surprises from the community so far? Are there decks we made that Direwolf did not consider? Are there feedbacks they weren't prepared for? Etc. I'm just going to read part of Chapin's answer on this one. Yeah. Because it's frankly beautiful. (laughs) Maybe the biggest surprise stems from the community missing Sandstorm Titan. Have you seen that one? No. From what I hear, I guess it has some bigger numbers on it than some other cards have. It's weird, no one ever noticed before, but I guess sometimes cards fall through the cracks. Just recently, however, someone submitted some feedback on it, so it's on our radar now, and we're going to start looking into it. I'm thinking Rakano Banner might be the card to go. <laughs> oh my god, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. <laughs> oh, that does that does also bring up a, a later question that was asked. Um, in response to, why is Sandstorm Titan so ridiculously undercosted? Chapin, he really helped me understand this when he said, because of the ratio between the number in the top left and the other ones. (laughs) That's exactly why. (laughs) I love it. That's more of a how. (laughs) I love it so much. We got one last question from Neon. Yep. So, Scouting Party was intended to cost six. Shimmer Pack, was, uh, was it also originally intended to cost eight? Like... Were these cards that were changed um, over the course of the patches, were they put in there 
too good to see what would happen? Or, you know, what was the approach with those? Uh, they were testing to see how much impact a promo could have. So they really pushed Scouting Party. Yeah. Because that used to cost five. It did. And dear God. It was great. Yeah. It, it changed things. Oh my God, it changed <laughs> things. Um, I think they learned not to push a promo that hard. Mm, yeah. Because <laughs> that one was a bit stupid. Yeah. I think, uh, I think Womp is a nice promo. I still see him sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Womp might e- not even be like a little underpowered. But, I could see that, yeah. But like, they, yeah, they were trying out to see what, like they were testing the waters to see how much they could affect things by just changing certain numbers. So, right. so eh. would you want to move into discussing Jellamoose's four questions? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So his first question is that, Direwolf has stated that it is interested in organized play, as in official tournaments. And is this something that you think will happen soon? What can you tell us about the current plans? Uh, so, it's something that they're doing. Like, they're, they're not doing, sorry. It's something that they want to do, but they have a lot of plates to keep spinning. Right. Which is the kind of answer that I expected for a lot of the questions we would ask on this AMA. Right. And I, tournaments... I really expected they wouldn't just be able to say... Yeah, this is our calendar. Officially supported tournament scenes are something that, like, you need to have a rock-solid game before you start putting money into tournaments. Yeah. So I think they want to just be really careful, but make sure that not only that they can make a meta that is, like, up to their satisfaction, but also that it will continue to be that way before they start launching into tournament scenes. Right. I mean, we... Regardless of how we feel about whether or not this needs to happen soon, the game isn't even released yet, so we wouldn't expect that soon. Right, right. Um, but we, we eagerly look forward to it, and I'm glad it was asked. Very glad. Uh, number two, Primal. It's kind of weak in terms of viability and faction identity. Uh, what kinds of changes can we expect to help out Primal? Okay, so... This is so such a vindicating answer for you. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. There's a difference between the faction identity and the competitive viability of it. Uh, yes. He says that those are two separate things in this as well, which they I think is great. Totally are. Because Primal, the faction, from a uh, flavor standpoint anyways, is so much more about the yetis and about, like, big dinosaurs and like, harsh winter conditions. Right. Compared to Primal the deck, which is more about card draw and stunning things. Yeah, slow, slowing the game down, yeah. accumulating cards. Right. Yeah. And, and there's a bit of a disconnect between the tournament, or not tournament, but the, uh, the competitive Primal and the flavor of Primal. Very much so. How, especially as uh, far as Mono Primal and Falner are concerned, Elysian basically gets there on both axes. Elysian, Elysian works. Yeah. So, um, he basically just talks about how, uh, well, first of all, he refutes the idea that <clears throat> Primal's not doing well and mm-hmm. says that it is succeeding on their metrics. Yeah, so he says that all of the supported faction pairs are pretty close in terms of success at a macro level is what he says i have to wonder how specific that data is i'm assuming it's more complicated than looking at all the win rates of all players and not not cutting them like i I imagine it's like here's for master players here's for the people in diamond here's for people in gold like yeah the different win rates i'd love to see that um that being said primal 
identity is really strong, but mechanically, I think, a little weak. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, like I, you mean flavor identity? Yeah, yeah. The flavor yeah. identity and mechanically flavorfully, if that makes sense. Like the mechanics of Primal are kind of weak compared to the flavor because the flavor yeah, yeah. is awesome. Like yeah. it's like cold, harsh mountaintops. Like, yeah. like I, I think I forget how long ago it was, but I complained before about Primal's faction identity, mm-hmm. and I really do think it's this disconnect between the um, the cards that end up seeing play. Yeah, and what the rest of the faction is telling me to do. I think cards like Channel the Tempest and, like, Magus of the Mist are some of the better cards that are mechanically and flavorfully both primal. I can agree with that. Um, I, I really like those two as far as design goes. Even Lightning Storm, like... Oh, yeah. The idea oh, yeah. of un- just unleashing elements and not caring about hitting your own things, that's pretty primal. Yeah. Um... That's a, that'd be a fun cast yeah, to do okay, someday. Sure. Anyway. Moving on. Can we expect the first major expansion soon? That's the question. Uh, can we soon? Maybe. That's the answer. I know. <laughs> he says, I share your enthusiasm about the near future and just how invigorating it is to play with new cards. Particularly these new cards. Oh, you. Ellipsis. You evil, evil man. <laughs> okay, question yeah. four. So... Has Direwolf considered doing something like a weekly dev blog post to keep players in the know? Uh, so, they talk about it, um, but they are more focused on just making sure that they're making new content. Mm-hmm. So, there's that. <laughs> there is. I would love and... to see some kind of, like, weekly or bi-weekly dev upgrade, uh, update. Yeah, and he says they're also focused on getting the game ready for full speed, which I think makes sense. Um and after it's released, I don't think there's really much of a need for a dev weekly thing. But during beta, we do kind of want to know when this is going to be cemented. And so I can understand how it's especially longed for right now. I don't think I agree with that, actually. I think one of, one of the best things about Magic is the amount of content coming out of the people who make the game. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Mark Rosewater's weekly articles are fantastic. His, well, like, you know, I like agree that. with that. Yeah. But I mean, like... It's not necessary, but it's... As nice. far as people are hungry for it... Yeah. Like, there are a lot of Magic players who never read those articles, I would think. And they're, they're okay with that. Um, as much as we enjoy those articles and see value in them... Or, I think the concern for the beta players is when is this going to get going? Or even um, the uh, the Ben Bro Designer Insight videos. Those are fun. Yeah, those are really good. I like sitting down and explaining here's why we did the thing, which they do in the patch notes, but like video form just kind of makes it more digestible. Yeah, and I really hope that kind of content comes out later. I would love to see that. That'd be so great. I All mean, right. It's like when I was when I was younger, especially uh, in high school, I. I'd be sick from school, and I'd just watch the making of Lord of the Rings videos, and those were great, you know, when they talk about how they develop what they're doing, and, you know, for games, just as much fun. All right, um, so the AMA is currently sticky down Reddit. Go read it. There's a lot of really interesting questions. A lot of them didn't get answered because, oh my god, there were so many questions. There were so many questions. <laughs> we, we have to say thank you again. For answering the questions that you did and for extending this to us. Right. It was really fun. I am glad that this happened. Yeah. That said, there were some questions, especially pertaining to draft, which I think people were really hoping to get answers for that yeah. they just didn't. And yeah. there was more off there was more often than maybe people would like 
uh, for the answer to be, well, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Which, <coughs> yeah, that's a little sucky. but A little bit. But, I mean, this is just like one person ask me anything, like... Like, he's head of the card file, so there are a lot of things that are probably going to be handled by other teams. Yeah. Like, that is one, one, one benefit of the doubt I can immediately have to consider. Or even just things that he's not entirely certain if he <clears throat> can tell us. <laughs> yeah, completely. completely. Okay. So, uh, moving on to our next topic. This is actually inspired by conversations I had today while waiting for the AMA My to get started. My <laughs> goodness. This is inspired by conversations that you texted me and made me sad. What is OP? I think the Great Parliament is OP. No, you don't. I know. So, okay. OP, or overpowered, or overly pushed, or whatever you want to say. Overpowered. Overpowered. What is What does it mean when a card is OP? Because... There have been cards that have been overpowered in the past of Eternal. Yeah. And thankfully, digital digital card game means they get to nerf it. They get to change it. Yeah. However, because you can change it, people now are clamoring to have cards they don't like or cards they think is over think are overpowered to just get changed I mean, instead when, of doing other things about it. So when it's possible, the complaining does go from I wish this would get changed to please change this. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, this was inspired by someone I'm not going to name. No, no. But someone called me out for living in magical Christmas land for suggesting that the Great Parliament was merely very good instead of <laughs> broken and stupid. Yeah. So, we were talking about the Great Parliament in Discord, and my arguments that the card was very powerful... But fair was that it took a long time to get there, and when you got the effect, it was almost always a two-for-one. Like, it's just two birds. Yeah. Two birds died to two removal spells. Like Two birds sometimes are nullified by one unit. A sandstorm titan. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not unbeatable. No. It's totally just fine. And yeah, there's things like Desert Marshal and Stand Together you could hold up as well, but I mean... Yeah, sure. Two-card combo does like, some good things. Anyways, the, yeah. the card in the Parliament itself is not the discussion. The discussion no. is, when is something overpowered, and when is something just good, or when is when is evaluation just completely off? Right, right. So, what do you think is the most overpowered card in the history of... A, the history of Eternal. The history of... Or at least since we've been playing. Yeah, yeah. Um, boy, there are... There are several candidates, and to say to name a single card is quite a challenge. But I mean, I have my answer, and yeah. you probably know what it is. The problem is I didn't play when that was around. Um, so, you know, I think it probably... No. I'll, I'll, I'll say mine. You say yours. You say <laughs> uh, yours. Morningstar I'm stuck. used to be the most broken card in the game. <laughs> Dear God. So Morningstar, when it was first released, was a 3-2 weapon for two. two. And you wouldn't think adding one extra strength onto Crown, Lo Crown Watch Longsword would make it so good, but it was just so stupid. It really does make it that much better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's what the card did was completely absurd. Um, it... People would put it on the uh, 
what's that guy's called? The Fearless Nomad. Oh, yeah. And then it could punch the Titan, or punch into a Titan and kill it. I mean, it's a numbers thing, completely, in, in what strengths matter and what healths matter. Right, and, and Direwolf took a lesson from that and learned, hey, let's let's make the amount of health that you're getting for low-cost weapons not this stupid. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, just... that, that was the most overpowered card, I think, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people would agree who played from then. Yeah, there there really aren't many other ways to attack for six on turn two, and that was nope. what that lets you do. <laughs> um, oh. Well, that's loud. The train thinks that there were other ways, but I'm gonna silence the train. Well, I'm the hype train. <laughs> Anyways, uh, have you thought of what you think is the most overpowered? That's a really good one. So we had a discussion about this before, and I mean there are several cards with moving parts, but one of the cards that we talked about was Old Witching Hour. And how it used to have its cost reduced for each power that you played, and something that we discussed was how it became it became a problem in conjunction with other cards. But I do think that if it had been explored more, because it's a card that turns people off when they look at it at first um, from being viable, I think if it had been explored more, it probably would have been broken in more than one deck, probably in a, quite a few decks. Right. Okay, so, what does uh, what are the features, do you think, of an overpowered card? So, it has to be over-centralizing, I think, uh, for it to be discovered as an overpowered card. People need to be playing this constantly instead of other choices within the same bracket. And also, I mean, that's... That opens up the floodgates for a lot of things that to be yes. declared OP that aren't. So, overpowered and... Centralizing are not synonyms. <laughs> that's a characteristic of an overpowered card. Okay, that's that's probably good. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, also just that playing it is so much better than trying to answer it. Mm -hmm. Like, I think warping the meta game around one card constitutes overpoweredness. Again, it's a factor of it. It doesn't yeah. change. Like, torch is a warping card. It is a warping. It is a statement card. of fact that torch warps the game. Yep. That's fine. <laughs> it's it's also a statement that Torch is better than its other option for a fast spell at single fire. But it's not a true statement that Torch is an overpowered card. Right. Torch is fine, and it's because the game is kind <clears throat> of the game is kind of balanced around Torch's existence. Yeah. Which is a good thing. But um <laughs> So yeah, uh it needs to warp the format in such a way that answers are not good enough to it. Mm -hmm. So Morningstar, I think, is the perfect example because it just... it. What do you do? What do you do? Yeah. <laughs> like, you just die to it. <laughs> you had to have an ant, like, a you... removal now or you lose the game. Yeah. And it, because it's Rakano, answering the Morningstar wasn't the end of it. So because it... Warcry means the next thing is huge and you have to deal with that as well. It essentially... It put on far too much pressure in the beginning for even if you had an answer for you to recover most of the time afterward. Yep. I mean, if, if you get to vanquish the thing on turn two, okay, you did two for one them, but you also just took six and used up your removal spell that you probably only play two or three of anyway. Going back like seven episodes ago uh, to our Champion of Chaos discussion. Yeah. Because that, that card was overpowered. Yeah. It was too I would good. say so. I mean... Uh, you played it in every Stone Scar deck, and you played Stone Scar to play that. You played it in Felon Scar. You did. You did. With Champion of Cunning. 
Like, you really stretched stretched yourself to play it. Yeah, it was completely stupid what you did for that card. Yeah. But it was just so good that the payoff was there. Mm -hmm. And what I think a factor of an overpowered card is, is, another factor anyways, is that it does more than what the text says. Ooh. Like... That's a fun definition. Right. Because what Champion of Chaos did, which the text does not necessarily say that it's going to do is it totally shuts down a lot of aggression on the opponent's side. Right. It's completely... You can't attack into the thing. You cannot. And it also gets through for extra damage when it maybe shouldn't have been able to, but that's a whole other thing. Um, (laughs) I mean, it still does that. It still does that, but now worse. Yes. So, um... So, yeah. Well, it was the the survivability of the card that was the problem. Going back to Morningstar. Morningstar gave the unit health and survivability when... While also doing the primary function of three extra damage on a weapon, punch your face. Right, right. Or uh, Witching Hour was a removal spell sometimes. Mm. <laughs> it was a burst combo kill card. Like, that is what it was. And that's not what the card says. No. Um, I mean, I think it... Op- like, maybe optimally it's a kind of attrition card. But that's... Now, compare this to, like, Sandstorm Titan, which is, like, perfect example of this does what I say it does. Like, it is a 5-6 for 4. It blocks pretty well. It attacks really well. That is what it does. <laughs> well, I mean, there's then, no... there's, then there's the stopping flyers, too. But yes, no, no, that's no, but what like, it does. That, that plays into the blocking really well. Like, it that does. is what he does, is I'm here to block and hit, get hits in, and that's all I do. And you know what? Good on you, mate. Yeah, and... <laughs> Like, that's a card that you don't see people... Like, you see people splashing Mystic Ascendant in Felm to make a cool TPS deck, and Sandstorm Titan has been tried and not really lasted as well as some other options in that deck, and I think that's an appropriate place to be, in that he does fit into many different decks that want beat sticks like that, but he's not just play and you win enough that people are going to play him when he doesn't fit the, the plan. I think another metric that we might not have access to is seeing uh, how often card is played compared to card wins the game. That w- yeah, that'd be a... Now, that's not actually a great metric because um, that'd be interesting. There's, uh, there's the whole thing with um, the card Overrun in Magic yeah. is one of the most winging- winningest cards yeah. because when you cast it, you win. I feel like you but could... you don't always cast it. Like, Crystallize and Flame Blast are both cards that are somewhat like that in Eternal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, Crystallize probably has an absurdly high win percentage compared to what it should be. I would think so. Just because of how, like, often you just use Crystallize and win the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) So, anyway, going into... You can tell that we clearly thought about this discussion beforehand and um, and are not just making stuff up as we go. Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> um, going into oh, more characteristics of overpowered cards, though. So they are over-centralizing. Yeah. They... Format warp. Yeah, format warp. Um, <clears throat> overshadowing other options, that's for sure. Doing more than what they ought to be doing. Yeah. Now, what else, though? What else? Uh, like, just... I don't know. Like, because I think when you combine all of these things, you start seeing overpoweredness and... I think you do. Um, I, was, I was wondering about another aspect of it, but I don't think that non-interactivity is 
as factored into overpowered as it is into factored into general unfun. I was wondering about that, though. I don't think so, um, because, again, most broken card in the game, Morningstar. Yeah, very was, um Yeah, incredibly interactive, because... It was, it was just a weapon that you put on a unit. You can still interact with the unit that is in Crown Watch Paladin. Completely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's another problem with that deck. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like, the problem wasn't that you couldn't kill the thing with the Morningstar. The fact was that the Morningstar just made your life so much worse for the two turns that it took to remove the thing. Right, right. But it, it's such a hazy concept, you know. We're, we're basically saying that it's better at what it does than everything else and to the extent that you're building decks around not even around it but yeah because like, build arounds are great you're destroying or not just dis- even destroying you are changing <laughs> your deck to fit the card in where the card probably doesn't belong if it was more balanced if it was more balanced if it yeah because what we want to see and what chapin mentioned a couple times too during the ama is we want to see a wide variety of decks get played. And that happens pretty often when your options are less catch-all. Yeah. Um, also, uh, oh, I was going to say a thing. I forgot the thing. Uh-oh. Uh, Uh-oh. No, it's gone. Were you going to say limitations breed creativity? No. Okay. Because <laughs> I was, and they do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know. Do you want to just go over some popular cards that people say are OP and then yeah, tell, yeah. talk everyone down from it? So there's the... Oh, like current cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so Valkyrie Enforcer. So Valkyrie Enforcer... Actually, actually I remember what I was going to say, and I can tie it into this. Do it! An auto-include is not overpowered because it's one of the better cards for the faction. Thank you for saying that. Oh my god, it makes it... That it, makes sense. It makes sense, but it makes this discussion so much harder. It because does. Because it's like... There's a line to be drawn, and where you draw the line changes from person to person, but people draw the line way, way, way too far to one side. So I think it is important, though, to mention here, when we say auto-include, we mean, or I think I think what we're meaning as a healthy auto-include is something that is included in every deck of that faction category. I wasn't even going to say faction. Category? Yeah, I was going to say it could be unhealthy if it's included in every deck of that faction. Because when I think of auto-include as in Champion of Chaos now, it's an auto-include in Aggressive Stone Scar. Not value mid-range Stone Scar or Callus. Yeah, like combo Stone Scar like Callus. I think value mid-range is still often going to play it. Okay. But but combo Stone Scar just doesn't really want it anymore. Um, when it used to be good enough that it would make it in there more. Um, Absolutely. And we talked earlier about Titan not being included in a lot of TJP control, uh, not necessarily being included in Shimmer Pack and similar tokens decks as you Praxis. go back and forth. Now, Praxis still plays it because it's a 4-drop, but like... It, it also really helps that deck against Flyers. Oh, does it? Yeah. What, does that deck have a weakness to Flyers? It can. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say it can. But anyway... Um, you know, if you're going to play it in every deck of that faction, probably an issue. If you're going to play it in every deck of that archetype, like, you know, a more narrow category, probably not an issue. There are just going to be, they're going to be auto-includes 
because those auto-includes are the cards that make you say, I want to play Elysian Stompy so I can play Cerso, or I want to play Justice Control so I can play Harsh Rule. It's an auto-include because you want to play it. Do you think it's... Do you think that it's possible to have an overpowered answer? Yeah. Because, like, the way you just described it makes me think Torch is overpowered. But I think we both know Torch isn't we do. really overpowered. We do. Um, I would admittedly like to see other, like, more more viable, cheap, torchish things. Um, but that's a, that's a weird line. Yeah. Yeah, because, I don't know. Because the shadow answers are all strangely conditional and mixed up, as we've we've kind of hinted at before. Deathstrike, Annihilate, Suffocate all have their place and are are a real decision on what you pick. But Torch, if you want small removal and fire, you have one real decision. I don't think that makes it an overpowered card. I think that's just a limited file. I don't. I can't imagine them making a card that would oust Torch, though. I don't know. I mean, we're not going to go create a card here, but. I could think of comparable options. Maybe we should revisit this at some point when we've had more time to think of our opinions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, we just, I, we both just got out of, like, classes and you took a test and we're both just kind of, like, in haze mode. I mean, (laughs) design cards to compete with Torch is, like, a a totally different topic. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like... But, Give a spell war cry and have it deal two damage or something. Yeah. So wait, actually, I mean, that's so just temper. Actually, that was a, that that's was, just temper. I'm gonna tell you that was the first thing that I thought of <laughs> was if temper was two? fast speed two damage, give a, get a war cry. Sometimes you would play that over torch. I think. Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. Yeah. Okay. We're we're gonna stop talking about OP cards because we really just don't know what we're ta- we're saying. I think we both have like an idea. We're just struggling to come up with the words for it. it. I mean, it's no, it's no wonder why this gets asked all the time in every card game is because it's a very difficult concept to pin down. Also, but I hope that our talking about it has helped you get a better idea of what at least, at least some think. people think about it. So okay, and I want to close it on one thing. Yeah. I like to approach things assuming a card isn't overpowered. And I think that's a good attitude to have about it. Assume it's not first? Yeah. Assume, you know what? Maybe I'm dealing with Seraph incorrectly. Mm. Maybe I should change my playstyle against Callus. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe we should do something different to deal with Call the Ancients. These are, <laughs> these are all cards I have heard people say are overpowered. Call the Ancients! All of them are fine. Call the Ancients! Hush! <laughs> Yeah, I think assuming that assuming that your designers are competent is definitely something that needs to be said. I, it, no, it doesn't mean that people don't make mistakes. Definitely not. Definitely not. Don't generalize me too much. I'm gonna generalize. Okay. <laughs> okay. We got we got one last topic. Today. Generalization is an OP argumentative topic. So this was. Um, Another thing to come out of the AMA, it was confirmed that we are going to get a cycle of multi-faction uh, modal cards. Yeah. So, similar to Accelerated Evolution, uh, we are going to get five, I think, uh, faction... And did they say if it was, like, the current ones or the unsupported ones? Ooh, I don't remember, but I can find out very quickly. Okay. We're going to design a card for each of them because we're bored and need to fill ten more minutes of podcast. <laughs> also, I mean, also it's fun. Also, do you have a pun or should I start? 
uh, looking stuff up because we are we've been doing this show for how long now? Puns. And we are so good at this. <laughs> I mean, I don't have one. Okay, I'll start looking. Okay, um, this is excellent podcast material. So yes, uh, does it say anywhere if it, it was says? It does not say that okay. they are the supported factions. So let's do the spicy. Unsu- let's do the unsupported ones then, because yeah. that's more fun. Let's do it. All right. So, uh, you pick a fat. Okay, I'll. Okay, we'll take turns, I guess. Yeah. Design an Elysian spell to support. Ooh. Uh, to support. Um. Oh wait, Elysian. I said Elysian. You did uh, no, say sorry. Elysian. Design a Praxis spell. Praxis. To uh, support. Not tokens, but your mid Praxis midrangey. Praxis strategy. midrange. Yeah. Design the Praxis midrange modal spell. Go. Uh, okay. Okay. Um. Ooh. <laughs> ooh. Okay. Hold on. <laughs> it, doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be a spell. You can design any card you want. No, no. I'm, I'm, like, what card was Praxis Midrange missing? I'm gonna do a spell. I'm gonna do a spell. Okay. Um, I'm working on the pun. This is excellent podcast material. Oh my god, why do people listen to this show? Yep. Okay, <laughs> so this is a two-power spell. Uh, one fire, one time. The modes are... Your units gain overwhelm this turn. Or... Deal two damage to up to two flying units. That is a very, very particular spell. It is. It is. Um, But what I thought there is, Praxis, they love Overwhelm, and they love having a lot of units, so global global Overwhelm is going to happen to help the big things out. And then a little of additional Flyer Hate, while probably being a weaker mode in anything that's not... A dedicated flyer deck um, is an additional piece of now you don't necessarily uh, now you don't necessarily need to draw one of your titans uh, to avoid being overrun by flyers in the first few turns because I think that the matchups with flyer decks against Titan can very much fall into they have Valkyrie Enforcer or Vanquish or Polymorph so they win or they don't, so they lose. And so I want to give another piece of interaction which isn't game-breaking, but is uh, is a, a more even interaction. All right, all right. What, what faction am I designing? So you're going to design, because I know you want to, Arjunport. Let me break out the card file. <laughs> Continue. Okay. Um, so I want you to design an Arjunport card which will inspire a new archetype. Let me just actually... Okay. I know this actually goes against the spirit of the... Impro- <laughs> this goes against the spirit of the improvised... Uh... Do you already have one like oh, that's a build-around? Uh, yeah, so I'm actually designing cards in my spare time because I have a life. <laughs> and um, You have a folder called Card File. Is that not the uh, one? That's actually for something completely different. My Don't gosh. Worry about that. Don't worry about it. Okay. I don't know that I'm going to be able to find it fast enough. But anyways, um, <laughs> eh, I'll find it later. Okay. So I designed Arjunport flavorfully as like Robin Hood-esque rogues. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of their central mechanics was caring about the uh, the top of the opponent's deck. 
or interfering with the opponent's deck in some way. A la Pilfer. Yes. So I'm going to. Um, uh, actually, you know what? You know where I do have it is I texted you. Oh, okay. okay. A card that I designed that I really, really liked. Yeah, <laughs> you've had some winners here. Oh yeah, uh, I text Josh at like two in the morning sometimes. Oh with my the card gosh, that I just so funny. <laughs> I so I had been having trouble sleeping that night anyway due to ridiculous things happening outside, and I got a text at like two thirty a.m. and it was. One, Justice, Shadow, 2-1, an ability. <laughs> like, oh, it's him! <laughs> okay. Um, uh, what, did, did I send you a 2-power 1-1 one, one that had an effect? You did give me a 2-power 1-1, one, one, Yes, because that's the one I wanted to share. It wasn't modal. Oh, right. Okay, so I'll just design <laughs> a new one then. So, let's... so it needs to be a build-around. Right, a build-around. Uh, so this is going to be a unit. It's okay. a 2-power 1-1, one, one, because I like those. You do. Or, I, I like those for this, I... General idea. <laughs> so you, um, when you play it, you get to choose one of two buffs for it. Mm. You either get uh, plus one strength and unblockable, Ooh. or Ooh. <laughs> or uh, plus one health and infiltrate, kill an enemy unit. Ooh. Or destroy so, an enemy unit. I guess. So you're pushing like an Arjunport disruptive aggro. Yeah. So, like, a fish deck, as some might say. Like, kind of. Yeah. I need to show you one card I designed that's real good. Oh, my God. It's, okay. It's I'll pretty sweet. <laughs> well, I have time afterwards, okay. so. Uh, you guys don't that's get to hear That's a it. cool design, though. <laughs> that's a cool one. I really like the Argentport Rogue idea. It's really sweet. <laughs> so, you basically become, like, slightly easier to kill Nightblade, or much weaker Desperado, and you get a choice, and you play the two power one one. So right, sounds, sounds nice. Argent Port is going to have some unblockable effects it makes for sense. that for that rogue strategy. Uh, anyways, your next one. Okay. Design a Xenon card <clears throat> that does not interact with the void in any way. <laughs> oh, well, I did have the one that I sent you, which I still <laughs> think is kind of sweet. Uh, do you mind? Go for it. Okay, so... You remember it, so that's that's a good first step. We were talking about, uh, briefly about Vermin Tribal, uh, and, and making Vermin Matters cards. Because Vermin um, are in those two factions. Yeah, they are. And so this isn't necessarily a Vermin Matters card, but it's one that might fit into that deck depending on how it goes. And it is Lord of the Flies, and it is seven, triple shadow, triple time. Um, I didn't have the stats, but it may as well be like a 6-8 or something dumb. Um, and anyway, it has summon, kill an enemy unit, and create a number of 1-1 one, one mosquito units uh, with flying equal to that unit's power cost. That, so, yeah. the thing that I like <laughs> there is that time already does a little with power costs, and so this is a... It's a very high-value effect on the Icaria slash Vodican um, of Xenon. And I, I think it's nice. Okay. So, now, there's two left. So, which one am I getting? You're getting Skycrag. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and I need you to... I need you to design a... Okay. Um, so, we, ha we already have a lot of... Skycrag finishers, and we already have a decent number of Skycrag early game cards. Design me something that shores up Skycrag's mid game. All right, uh, we'll make this one a spell because Skycrag 
is slightly spell dense. I think I they say. like those. Yeah. Uh, not even just because blue red, but like fire's main contribution appears to be its disruptive and burning of things. Yes. Um, oh, a uh, bonus. If this card is really good with trail stories, it gets better. <laughs> <laughs> so this is going to be a four cost spell. Okay. And you get to choose one of two modes. Either deal four to a unit or summon the 3-3 three, three drake. Deal four to a unit or summon 3-3 three, three drake. Yes. That's super flexible. Because the four the four damage to a unit and is nice. the drake coming in and just like air raiding it. <laughs> just breathing fire all over it. Yep. <laughs> Wait, could it not be a 4-2 drake? <laughs> the OCD in me. Anyways, Anyways, that's my modal spell for Skycrag. That'd be incredibly useful. Yes, okay. Incredibly yeah. useful. Which means your last card is Huru. Huru. And, let's see, we've already seen what Huru is trying to do with Rilgan, right? We have. So, design design the control's best friend. Design the card that brings back TPS control. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> That, that, that's a bit of a tall order because that control deck is very much dead, but... It is. Did you say TPS? I did. Time Primal Shadow. Yep. Okay. Bring back Time Primal Shadow. Okay. I'm oh, sorry, this not is Time Primal. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh, JPS. 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 Yes, JPS. Okay, this is... So Slightly easier. I would put it at... Oh, uh, let's go with, go with three power spell. And it reads... Uh, and we can have this a fast spell, I think. Let's let's make this a fast spell. Uh, it's going to say, all units get minus one, minus one. Or, okay. uh, so that differentiates it from being a, ju a just better plague. Or, draw a relic weapon from your deck, reduce its cost by one. Ooh, ooh, that can tutor. Yep. Ooh. It can tutor. So, like, by tutor, I'm assuming... Does it pick one at random and draw it? But you can <clears> tutor <throat> by only putting certain ones in your deck. Oh, that'd be actually fascinating. Um, well, I'm just thinking, this is this is Huru. Playing it in Icaria would be dangerous, admittedly. But in the context of JPS, you only get Justice, Relic Weapons, and Staff of Stories, really. So, there it seemed fine. But in you, if you put that in Fire... Primal justice that is a little more dangerous. I was thinking it would be a, a choice, though. I think we did some good work designing cards. I think so, too. Yeah, the rest of the episode was not that good. Uh, you know. <laughs> the rest of the episode was mostly conjecture and flailing at definitions. Yeah, that was... We've, we've done better. <laughs> uh, but we are going to end on a pun, because I managed to come up with one. Great! Okay, so um, this, is, this is a pun for all you Pokemon fans out there. Yes! So, um... Uh, did you know that police officers have an affinity for Bayleaf? Uh-oh. Yep. A Bayleaf being the evolution of Chikorita from Gen 2, Pokemon Gold, Silver, and Crystal. It looked a little weird. It kind of looked like a dinosaur with a leaf on its head. Yeah. Um, anyways. So why do police officers like them so much? So, okay. Uh, here's where the story... Here's where it turns from a... Here's where uh -oh. the part of the pun where we all enter the world of Pokemon. You see... <laughs> I found a bay leaf, oh. <laughs> and I had to return it to uh, the police station. Oh gosh! So I was I I went to the uh, went went to the station, and it's huge. It's like a three story building. It's gigantic, and for whatever reason, the cops were so spread out, and I had to like go through 
every single hallway, and I had to like go through all the rooms. It sounds like a dream there was, of like, mine. One dude per room, oh. one dude per hallway, one cop per. Uh, <laughs> I shot up with a cop per hall bayleaf. <laughs> I did the pun early. That was. So I had to cut it short. <laughs> That, that was worse than our previous discussion, so you actually made it better. <laughs> oh, God. I'm sorry. Next week, <laughs> next week will be better, I promise. Bye, y'all.